Hi guys, hi ladies. Going to church in the daylight, man, that means spring is coming. Man, such good things around the corner. My name is Evan. Uh, if I don't know you, come up and meet me. I'm one of the pastors down here. Uh, a few announcements before we jump into the biblical text. Um, you got a bulletin. There are good things in these. You know, I grew up going to church and I so often just did not read a single thing in there. Um, but for people that want to see what a church is going, out, is going on outside of the hour that we meet on Saturday nights, this is a really good spot to start. Uh, for the upcoming happenings on Wednesday, we have something called Project Grow, led by uh, a member of this church, and they're doing it once a month, and it's a chance to get together, have a really good meal that my wife's cooking this month, and hang out and go deeper into a certain topic. This uh, month, they're going into Enneagrams. Uh, it's somewhat popular, and this is a second uh, step two that they're doing, more looking at the application of the personality types that you have been made with and how those apply um, to your relationships with others and with God. Uh, so it's just an hour and a half commitment for a month time of, in which you get to engage deeper with people as well as with God himself. Um, also, on another page, it says serve with us. Uh, Rimrock downtown is at a really interesting spot. Um, we are pursuing solidifying a vision for Rimrock downtown. We are very much Rimrock, but we are a second campus, and we are trying to figure out how God wants us to operate in our unique talents and abilities and what he's calling us to do. And within that vision is also talks and prayers about a new building. If God continues to move us in this direction, then we're going to need more people with unique talents and giftednesses and desires and passions to come alongside and get involved. And so if God puts anything on your mind or your heart, a desire or a thought that relates to being down here, then contact us through email or come and talk to us. And the beauty of church, it's about a body of people following God's leading through individuals and collectively. And so there's no set structure. I think it's more people's personal passions and leadings by the Spirit coming together to see what God's going to do. And so you're, you can be a huge part of that um, if you desire. Cool. Oh, and the last thing on the very back, the very bottom, uh, connect. I'm going to start sending out emails once a week for this series to give you things to think about for the upcoming series. And so... If we do not have your email address, I cannot send that to you. And so if that's something that you want, or if you're unsure whether or not we have your contact stuff, back on that table as you leave on the right's a, a welcome slip. And just fill that out um, and hand, put in the donation box or hand it to one of us. That way you can be more involved with what we have going on. Awesome. Enough of the nitty gritty. Sweet. Let's, uh, if you wouldn't mind, I know we just prayed, but take another moment with me just to really tune into God and what he's got going. God, we are here because we love you. We desire to know more about you. And so please make that a reality. Give us more understanding of who you are. Uh, increase our emotional connection to you. Uh, engage our brains. Uh, Spirit, give us what we need. We trust you. Amen. Okay, so over the next nine weeks, we're going to be walking through a thousand years of Israel's history. Nine weeks, a thousand years. We're going to use the Bible from Joshua through the prophets, so majority of the Old Testament, in order to examine the character of God and the natural propensity, you might have to Google that one, or tendencies of man. 
what mankind seems to be naturally drawn to do and how they tend to act year after year, generation after generation. The books of Joshua and Judges, First and Second Samuel, Kings and Chronicles, are historical narratives, which means that they are simply documented history. Right? You guys went through school. You know what history is. You know what history books are like. That is exactly what Joshua and on. Psalms is different. Job's a little different. The prophets are different, but what I just mentioned, that's just documented history of Israel from 1400 B.C. up until about 400 B.C., so about a 1,000 years. Through these types of books, one is able to see how God interacted with the nation of Israel. Now, this is where and why it's important. Because God does not change, we are able to see his character by analyzing how he treated Israel and the people in Israel. By understanding God's character, we know who he is now and how he is interacting with us and how he will continue to interact with us. So by exploring this, we're looking to figure out who God is then so we know who God is now. Another universal truth that we hope to gain out of this pursuit is a tendency of humanity. As we examine a thousand years of documented human history, we get to see the choices that generation after generation tend to make and the effects that these choices have on their lives and the lives of their children. This is the beauty and the sadness of studying history. It's so important to understand the cause and effect of people that lived in the past, but it's so sad to see the way that generation after generation make the same mistake. You know, the last thing that we hope to get out of this study is a foundation of understanding the Bible. And that one's like paramount for me as a teacher. I just want you guys to know that the Bible is so understandable. It's so applicable. It's so, you can get into it and figure it out. It is not, it's not that difficult. From my own experience, by gaining a big picture understanding of the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, it gives you the tools to deeply understand as you study each individual book. When, under, when one understands the context of the story, he will have a much better chance of gaining the deeper truths and then applying them to their life. That was just a little overview of what we're going to be doing over the next nine weeks. So as we walk down this road together, if you want to fully understand the most important book in human history, I encourage you to read the section that we look at either before or after we study it. Right? That's the purpose of those emails that we're going to be sending out. If you simply rely on one individual a half an hour each week to show you who the God of this world is and how you should better live your life, then you're going to have a superficial Amen. understanding of it all. It's going to seem silly and confusing and not at all applicable. However, if you're willing to put the time into studying it and meditating upon it, you will begin to see why Paul described the Old Testament how he did in 2 Timothy 3, 7, 16 and 17. All scriptures. Now this is Paul, so he's talking about the Old Testament, right? He had no idea these letters would be turned into, into the Bible. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may... Be proficient, equipped for every good work. By investing a small amount of time each day, you will start to understand why this book has changed the world.
All right. So what I hope to do tonight to start this series off is prepare for us a study, prepare us to study what lies ahead, to lay the foundation from which Joshua enters the promised land, takes it, and then everything that rolls out from there. So this is far more of like a teaching setup tonight than preaching. Um, and so I hope if you don't really like this style, just trust that it does get different each time we present something different, right? There's not as much storytelling as there is telling the story of the Bible itself. So here's about 4,000 years in like three minutes. In the beginning, God created a perfect world for mankind to work and play in. God was there in their midst, which is a crucial part of the equation. But mankind chose to reject God and his plan for his creation. With this choice, man was distanced from their creator, and therefore the source of goodness was removed and the world shattered. But instead of walking away and leaving humanity to rot in their own destruction, God begins his intentional plan to bring about reconciliation. And I feel, and this is my own personal opinion, but I feel like reconciliation is at the core of God's heart and why he interacts with humanity. He desires, possibly more than anything else, for, to be reunited with the humanity that he created. And we were created to live in total unity with the one who made us. And so it's a win-win. So God's, total pl God's plan of reconciliation began in the garden moments after Adam and Eve rejected him. But it takes on tangible form with Abraham, Genesis 12. God appears to Abraham, promising to bless him and bless and change the world through him, if he was willing to trust him. If Abraham was willing to take physical steps of obedience to demonstrate his faith in God, God would use him and his descendants to bring the world back to its creator. Abraham trusts God and steps into the unknown. Three generations later, Jacob, Abraham's grandson and his 12 boys, are living prosperously in Egypt, growing in number. Unfortunately, 400 years later, they are enslaved by the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh. Before long, Israel cries out to God. God hears them, remembers the promise that he had made to Abraham, and through Moses, God brings physical redemption for the nation of Israel. They witness him bring his power to the earth. You guys have seen Exodus. You understand what I'm talking about. Freeing them from inescapable bondage. As they leave Egypt, God leads them into the desert so that they can know, get to know him and enter into the relationship with the one who made him. During their time at Mount Sinai, they enter into a covenant with God. In this covenant, God establishes the culture of Israel through a list of laws, ways that they can operate and treat one another that line up with their creator's standards. God also ensures that, they will be able to that he will be able to remain in their midst by giving them a sacrificial system. He uses innocent in in the sacrifice of innocent animals in order to pay the consequences for Israel's rebellion against God. Out of this covenant, Israel gets an extraordinary privilege. Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now therefore, this is God, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the people. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. 
These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. He's saying that to Moses. So with this covenant in place, God leads the nation of Israel to the land that he had promised 400 years prior to Abraham. Unfortunately, due to their doubt and disbelief, lack of trust in God, Israel chooses not to enter the land and fight against the giants. Right? Ten out of the twelve spies said, man, we cannot do this. Rationally, this does not make sense. This choice caused them to wander around for 40 years in one of the most barren wildernesses on the planet Earth. However, during this time, God stays in their midst and continues to provide them with everything that they need. Now that the 40 years of punishment and wandering is over, they stand on the edge of the Jordan River looking into a region that is full of fertile lands, a place that has plenty of water, places to grow crops, to build homes, to raise your kids in. Take a moment to think about how incredible this must have felt for the Israelites, a people who had been enslaved by a brutal master for generation after generation and then wandered around a barren wilderness for 40 years as they look into this incredible paradise that's in front of them, they also have the creator of everything hanging out in the midst of their nation, providing them with food and conquering enemies that were much stronger than they. And the same God has promised this land to them. He also promised to go before them and to, to defeat the giants that are living in this beautiful area. Let's look at Deuteronomy 9, 1 through 3. Hear, O Israel, you are about to cross the Jordan today to go in and dispossess nations larger and mightier than you, great cities fortified to the heavens, a strong and tall people, the offspring of Ankim, Anakim, there we go, who you know. You have heard it said of them, who can stand up to Anakim? Know then today that the Lord your God is the one who crosses over before you as a devouring fire. He will defeat them and subdue them before you so that you may dispossess them and destroy them quickly as the Lord has promised you. We already read that he has promised that they would be his people, a treasured possession, and he is willing to do what he has to do to make sure that they stay secure. But... This is a crucial thing to know. This has nothing to do with Israel's worthiness. It has nothing to do with the way that they've been acting, the fact that they have been good enough to earn what God is giving them. Let's keep going in Deuteronomy 9. When the Lord your God thrusts them out before you, do not say to yourself, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to occupy this land. It is rather because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you're going in to occupy their land, but because of the wickedness of those nations that the Lord your God is dispossessing them before you in order to fulfill the promise that the Lord made on oath to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. One more, Blake. Know then that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to occupy because of your righteousness, right? He's set on repeat. For you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoke the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place. 
whoa. So this is Moses, who's not allowed to enter into the land, giving his farewell speeches to his nation that he has been dealing with for the last 40 years. This is heavy stuff. But in this, we see that one of God's purposes in bringing Israel into the land of Canaan is to use them to bring his judgment upon wicked nations that have spent at least the last 400 years worshiping false gods and doing horrible things to one another. He has other reasons, and we're going to look at that as we continue in this series. But for the rest of the chapter, chapter 9 and a little bit into 10 in Deuteronomy, Moses continues reminding the people of Israel of their rebellious nature. Just over and over. Remember when you did this? Oh, hey, you remember when you did this? Oh, remember when I was up on Mount Sinai and you were doing this with that golden calf? Just time and time and time again. I think he does this so that they do not assume that they have earned this privilege, that they have done nothing to be a chosen group of people, but is rather the sheer grace of God. But he doesn't stop there. The Bible doesn't stop there because God doesn't stop there. If God stopped there, then the Bible would stop with Genesis 3, and then the rest would be just destruction. In chapter 10, he reminds them what they are to do if they desire everything that God has promised them. So now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? This is applicable now. What does God want you to do? What has God created to do? What is your purpose of your life here and now? Only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his decrees that I am commanding you today for your own well-being. Don't miss that. One more, please. Although the heaven and the heavens of heavens belong to the Lord your God, the earth with all that is in it, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your ancestors alone and chose you, their descendants after them out of all the peoples as it is today. Circumcise then the foreskins of your heart, so this is metaphorical, and do not be stubborn any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. So we see that Israel's role in this covenant is to make God their priority, to love them with every part of who they are, to trust God instead of their own logic or emotions or the ways that the nations around them choose to operate. In this context, the word fear means to respect to honor, to revere. Far different than what we use the word fear to mean now. The responsibility is to make God and his plans for them the most influential thing in their lives. If they do this, then God will fulfill his promise. He will drive out the nations before them, protect them against the larger nations that surround Canaan, and provide them with rain and sun for their crops. He will give them everything they need if they choose to love him, if they choose to make him their priority. All right, how many of you actually like history? Some? All right, so that was 500 years of Israel history. It's like telling a story. But you got to remember that this is real humans making real choices and getting the consequences of those choices. And this is a real God interacting directly in the lives of these people. And this is somebody just writing down what they got to see. 
So let's move on to application. You know, I picked up three different universal truths for us to apply to us tonight. First one, God wants what is best for us. God desires for us to be reconciled back to him and for us to have the abundant life. You know, God's interaction with Israel shows us his character and his desire for humanity. I believe that God's strongest desire and motivation for interacting with people is so that they can be redeemed from their own brokenness and the brokenness of their world. In the same way that God entered Israel's world of despair and bondage to create relationship, he does it for us as well. He steps into people's messed up lives, offering to restore the relationship with the one that made them, to remove the barrier of separation and reunite them with their creator. You know, a few passages sum it up better than Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of our flesh and senses. And we were by, by nature children of wrath like everyone else doesn't stop there. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, spiritually, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Take a moment to consider this. The maker of everything has such an intense desire to be reunited with you that he stepped into humanity to sacrifice himself so that we could be reconciled. I know that's Christianese, stuff that we hear over and over and over, but just take a moment to consider the reality of that. And what that says about God and his character and his view on who you are and whatever you're going through right now. You know, after our soul is purified, he continues to interact with us so that we can have the abundant life. Right? Jesus says that in John 10, 10. I've come to give you life and life abundantly. In the same way that he lived in the midst of Israel's camp, right in dead center, all of their tents were around him. He was in the middle guiding and protecting them, the Holy Spirit comes and resides within the souls of the redeemed. From this position, he is able to guide our lives by speaking into our minds and our emotions, allowing us to have an abundant life, which also means a life that is beyond what we expected or an extraordinary life. And how many of us don't want an extraordinary life? So think about Israel going from slavery to the wilderness to a land flowing with milk and honey. That's just a metaphor. There wasn't actually milk and honey flowing. Due to God's intense love for us, we have the same opportunity as Israel to be delivered from our spiritual slavery and to be led into a life that is beyond what we ever expected. However, universal truth number two, it is our choice to experience God's goodness. It is our choice whether or not we will be reconciled or receive the abundant life that God wants us to have. In the same way that Israel's salvation from Pharaoh was dependent on their crying to God for deliverance, we must cry out to be saved. 
period. Love does not win in the end. Only if you choose what God has for you can you be saved. Romans 10.13 puts it this way. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If Israel wanted God's special protection and provision in Canaan after they had been delivered, they had to make God their priority. If we want to live an extraordinary life full of joy, peace, contentment, and purpose, those things that we truly want at the core of who we are, then we must love God and seek him with everything we have. Galatians 5.22 puts it this way. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit, the things that the Spirit manifests in a person's life, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Honestly, those nine things, I think, are what every individual wants in their life. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Notice this last sentence. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. If you want those nine things, you must allow yourself to be guided by the Spirit. God created humanity with free will. It is our choice what we want to do with our minds and our lives. Fully up to you. If we choose to trust our own righteousness, then we will be judged based on the good and evil that we have done. Cause and effect. That's what we want, therefore that's what we get. If we choose to trust our own logic and emotion and the influences of our culture on how we are to live our lives, then we will, we will have a life led by our temporary and broken perspective, what I think is best for me for my 35 years of living, right? I got a lot of wisdom. I don't make mistakes. I must know what it's going to be. And we will also be led by a culture that is focused on self-glorification and instant gratification cause and effect. If we turn to them to be our guide, then this is what we will get. But if we choose to trust the righteousness, if we choose to trust our righteousness, our standing before God to be given to us through Jesus, then we will be judged based on Jesus' atoning sacrifice. If we choose to trust the guidance of the Spirit for how we live our lives, then we will be led by the eternal and perfectly wise maker of heaven and earth. Cause and effect. It is up to us what we choose. There's so much logic in that, in my opinion. If we choose the temporary, the imperfect, then we will get the temporary and the imperfect. If we choose the perfect, unending, eternal good, then we will get the ramifications of that choice. All right, universal truth number three. Man often chooses to trust things other than God. Like I said, we want to not only examine the character of God in this series, but we also want to see the propensities or the tendencies of man. It appears that our choice to not trust God is almost a natural tendency of ours. From the moment that God led Israel out of Egypt, they were continually doubting his goodness and abilities and turning to other things. Trusting people, statues, the way that other nations did. Like day three on after the crossing of the Red Sea, they start getting into this behavior. Forgetting about the God that just miraculously freed them from an inescapable place. 
And we will see the nation of Israel continue to do this over and over throughout the next thousand years. And it just almost begins to spiral over time. It gets worse and worse. And because this is a natural tendency of fallen man, we do the same thing. Instead of trusting the one who redeemed us with an unwavering trust that does not move, we can continually turn to other things out of the belief that they will be our protector and our provider. That money, pleasure, success, fun, relationships with other people, our own logic and emotion, whatever, will give us the life that we have always wanted. Instead of trusting the ruler of the universe, the one who created everything, the one that allows the sun to rise and puts breath in our lungs, we turn to the temporary and the incomplete. And this has been a struggle since Adam and Eve and on. It's just a part of our fleshly nature and how we tend to operate. But just like God did with Israel, in the midst of our rebellion, he continues to stay present. That's crucial to remember. Even though we have this innate flaws within our fleshly nature and we continually reject God himself, he does not leave. He allows us to suffer the consequences of our own choices. Again, cause and effect. Things like the emotions that arise when money runs low. You guys know how that feels. I trust my bank account, and when my bank account starts to dwindle, man, it just brings in terrible feelings. Or the cancerous results of making decisions out of greed, lust, or anger. And there's story after story after story that we could go through. We've got to remember cause and effect. When we choose to do these things, he allows us to experience some, if not all, of the consequences of those choices. However, due to God's unending love and his desire to give us a better life, he remains in our midst. He stays present. If you are a redeemed child of God, the spirit does not move. It's a, it's a, a really unfathomable thing for me to even begin to understand, but out of those negative choices that we make and the consequences that we get, the spirit uses those almost as fertile soil to make us better individuals because that is God's desire to give us the best life possible. You know, I know these three statements of truth are big and sweeping. You mind putting them all up? You know, they're, they're like universal statements, obviously, and they're big and sweeping, and it's hard to really see how they are practical. They're more conceptual. But if you are willing to take a little bit of time tonight, tomorrow, at some point, and reflect on just one of them, Spend time, like two minutes, five minutes, 15 minutes, something, just considering the implications that God, the creator of everything, wants what is best for you. Regardless of what you do or your choices, God wants what is best for you. And you'll see huge influences on the way that you approach God when you're in the midst of your own sin. You'll see huge impacts upon like the way life gets when you are locked into trusting money or sex or drugs. You're like, man, I'm in a bad spot, but God wants what is best for me if I turn to him. If you spend time meditating on it is our choice to experience God's goodness, then you will recognize that you are the broken ingredient in the equation to a good life. 
you will recognize, man, it's not those around me, although they're broken, but it is me and the choices that I make that have brought so much of the tragedy that I've experienced. If only I would have turned to God, then I would be experiencing more of his goodness. And you'll see that it's within your hands that you have a choice to make your life better by giving it to God. Right? If you meditate on man often chooses to trust things other than God's, you recognize that you need God, that there's no other way around it, that at the core of your fleshly tendencies, you are broken. Therefore, without God, you got nothing. So please, spend a little bit of time thinking through these. You know, just in case you're a total millennial or a middle schooler in a human's body and you'll forget everything that I just told you as you walk out this door, let me give you a concrete, direct application. You know, Deuteronomy 10, 20 through 22 gives us a technique to help us battle man's, uh, man's tendencies. You shall fear the Lord your God. Him alone you shall worship. To him you shall hold fast. And by his name you shall swear. Right? That's what they're supposed to do. And this is why. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things that your own eyes have seen. Your ancestors went down to Egypt 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in heaven. One way to combat our natural tendencies to turn away from God is to remember what he's done for you in the past. This helps us keep our focus on him now. So here's the challenge. Start your day remembering why you have been given another day of life. You did nothing to bring about today, nor will you do anything to bring about tomorrow. Start your day remembering why you have the day. Take a moment in the midst of your busyness to remember why you have so many good things that surround you. When you are face to face with whatever tempts you, remember the cause and effects of the past. What occurred when you trusted the tempter? We've all done that and everything that came because you chose to trust that, and what occurred when you chose to trust God. I love the way that David puts it in Psalms 43.5. I remember the days of old. I think about all your deeds. I meditate on the works of your hands. Taking time to learn about what God has done over the past six, ten, a thousand millennial, however you view the time of earth, and to remember what he has done in your own life will help lead you into the proverbial promised land, a life that is saturated with love, peace, joy, and purpose. You know, as the musicians come up, just take a moment with me to bow our heads before the one who gave us everything. God, you are so big, and, but yet you are so interactive in our lives. I ask that you would interact with us right now, just for the next six minutes that we have in this room, that you would stir something within each one of our minds or in our emotions, just plant something within our brains that we walk out of here thinking about. God, continue to draw us back to you. You are the source of what is good. Apart from you, 
We have nothing. 